I want to just say a couple things before I read the text. We'll be finishing Colossians this morning, looking at verses 7 through 18. As Pastor Alex mentioned about that sheet, that sign-up sheet for baptism and new members, it's not the book of life, but it's awfully close. Okay, so we want you to take advantage of that. Um, this, this morning, there are 10 or 11 names that close this text. And for those of you that keep somewhat of a, um, a biblical library for yourself, I, I meant to bring the book, but, you know, a lot of things start missing at age 62. <laughs> Um, start forget stuff. But anyway, I do remember the, the author. For those of you that enjoy character studies, Herbert Lockyer uh, does a series, and uh, I gathered a certain degree of information from him. For this, on the individuals, it's not going to be exhaustive, but we certainly want to touch on all of those listed. Um, I, I would definitely recommend him to you. Um, he does one on all the men in the Bible, all the women in the Bible. Uh, he has one on all the apostles in the Bible and all the uh, prayers in the Bible. I think that's pretty much all of it, but it's a great series. It's worth having. And it gives you a little backdrop and background on those that, um, you know, that are mentioned in Scripture. He does a good job at it. Again, that is Herbert Lockyer. All right. Let's go to the text here, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through verse 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, which is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha, the church in her house. And when this letter had been read among you, have it also read in the churches of the Laodiceans. See that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with mine own hand. Remember my chains and grace 
be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is truth. And we pray that you will sanctify us by the truth. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Interesting, in Paul's epistles, he'll do this often. You know the pattern of the 13 books more likely that he wrote. He will give the introduction, give some greetings, some, of course, uh, spiritual things that are attached to that. He'll get into the letter, uh, revealing doctrine about the gospel, doctrine about God, in particular, uh, that I would say more often than not, it's about Jesus, but certainly other aspects of the Holy Trinity. Um, he'll deal with whatever is the problem that's each epistle, and then he'll give godly instruction as to how God's people are to live, and then we get to a, a final greetings. And I think, again, here it's 11, if you count the Apostle Paul. And I want to say in the book of Romans, I'm, I'm thinking of this off the top of my head, it was either 30 or 33 there. And it's easy kind of to pass off this. Um, and uh, I don't know if you guys will remember this, but we didn't finish the book of Romans. And um, when the pulpit came to me, um, I went back to Romans chapter 16 and preached three messages on the book of Romans covering those people. Um, God put the books together from beginning to end and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these things are significant, and I really think they're significant for us as well. It would be, uh, in some ways, appropriate if I could just pause. Um, when you're thinking about ministry as, as a pastor, and, and I even thought about this when I was just a Christian, as, as you do, you think about people. Um, you know, basically the people who sat in this room have had a huge impact on my life and my life, uh, my wife's life and my family's life. Um, they're, they're relationships that are literally going to be eternal. And there's so many ways I honestly would like to stop and call you by name and say things about you. Um, I'm not going to do that, though I don't think it would be inappropriate, um, but I would be afraid I'd miss too many. And, and all of you having, I mean, I've been here 27 years, have had a varied degree, even to some of the more recent ones that have come our way to all the way back for my full 27 years here. And I think just off the top of my head, there's something very central to why Paul does what he does. And I really think in, in simplicity, it's appreciation. It's good to show appreciation. And in one way, that's what Paul does here. And it's good for us to show appreciation and to, to use explanation to it. Um, I think it reveals a lot about each other. And so for whatever uh, that may entail for you as that's breezing through your own mind, I would, I would say act on 
God's guidance for you and interact appropriately. I don't think for any of us, as we talked about last week, prayer being a type of God consciousness, as God places people on your mind and heart, it's really appropriate to move on it. Um, I dread sleepless nights. You get them occasionally. <laughs> you get them occasionally as a pastor. Sometimes you get woke up, and, uh, but there will be people. I try to act on that, and I'm not perfect at it, but I try to act on it when God puts specific people in my mind. And it happened again this week. It was with a guy that's outside of this body. I'm actually going to talk to him uh, Tuesday, Tuesday morning. He's a guy that saved, God saved when I was in the steel business. And uh, the, he's now moved south as that steel business and national steel itself dissolved. And uh, he's, God converted him uh, with the company I was at. He's now uh, ab about to be made an elder. And, you know, for whatever reason, I'm studying this. Boom, there it goes. I reach out to him. And I'm looking forward to Tuesday to, to talking with Avery about that. Um, and, it, you know, it's just fascinating to hear people's accounts of how they came to Christ. It, it really is. It, it draws you to them. I love to hear. One of the beautiful benefits of shepherding, like when uh, Pastor Alex will throw this out there, and I know Brett's received the benefit of this, is to hear people's stories and, and, the, and, and the surrounding events of how God saved them and transformed them. And I'll tell you this, the ministry is, first of all, never dull, ever. Never is it dull. And, and secondly, it's, it's incredible how, what, what God does. I mean, we literally have people who are a part of our membership that were, was born and raised on the other side of the globe and were saved there. And in God's providence, he's brought them our way. And so um, we sat here in this room and then there's all sorts of backdrop of what you were converted out of. It could be a Christian home. It could be, you didn't, you didn't know a lick about Christianity. And then events begin to come up. Whatever they are, they're all beautiful. And they're all glorious. And they're, and they're great to listen to. Um, it's good to nurture each other in it, to bring those things up, and to talk about these gospel accounts. And just talk about uh, those things in general as a church. And there's, and there's a lot of wonderful metaphors that the New Testament gives that pertains to the church. I think we even bump into them in the book of Colossians. Um, one is that the church is the kingdom of God. Uh, you've heard Pastor Alex and I mention this before. Uh, as you're moving through to help you understand where you're at in Scripture, you're thinking about God's people in God's place under God's blessing and rule. And we are the kingdom of God on the earth as it is. Um, it's not completely consummated yet. That happens when Jesus returns. And I, I, I want to tell you that the church is the kingdom of God because if you've been a Christian in any length of time and you're inundated with Protestant theology, people can get really weird on the, uh, the phrase the kingdom of God. 
And so we are. The church is the present kingdom of God. And, and this text uses terms like faithful servant, bond servant, fellow workers of the kingdom that we just read. We serve, you and I do as Christians, the king. And we're Americans, that's kind of hard to really grasp, I think, what that totally represents. We're going to really understand it, but, you know, in America, it, it, there's a lot of, we take with us this rugged individualism. We don't see ourselves where a lot of parts of the globe would, would have really understood this a little better. I'm not saying we don't understand it at all. I just think there's sometimes things in our life that, that trip us up. That way, but look at verse 24 of chapter 3. This is one reference to it. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Christ is the King. Christ is the King of this eternal kingdom that you and I are a part of. The church is also a diverse body. A diverse body. Various members, diverse yet one, no barriers any longer between any of us. It is Christ Himself who indwells all believers. And again, we saw this in verse 11 of chapter 3. Look back with me. Uh, Here there is not Greek and Jew and circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Christ literally indwells fully. The most recent convert in this congregation, whomever that may be, and we have a bunch, a bunch within the last five years, to those of us that have known Jesus for 50 years, you have all of Christ, and Christ indwells you, and as this beautiful picture is here, Paul, Paul gives the picture of that Scythian who was the most barbaric, perhaps violent individual who became converted to Christ, to all of those who would be perceived as really large in the world with a lot of knowledge, Greek, and we all sat here even today in this local small society that followed Jesus, saved out of diverse backgrounds, and yet we're one, we're the body of Christ, and Jesus is our head that we saw in, in uh, Colossians chapter 1. It's, a, it's another beautiful metaphor, the kingdom of God and a body, a diverse body. And, and, and I don't think I love any more term than I do the family of God. Um, and this is, this, is a, this is a wonderful thing for all of us, because perhaps for you, you may have been raised in a, in a difficult family. It could be perhaps for you, you were converted, and at, at this point, nobody else in your family is even con- converted, doesn't know Jesus, both you know, in a close context, your near family, to your extended family. Family's such a great term. Um, it's so good to, to, to belong. Um, it, gives, it gives assurance. We do that as parents for our kids, and grandparents do it for their grandchildren and whatnot. And it doesn't get greater than, than it is what we have. Paul uses terms here just to, just to get a sense of the intimacy and, and endearment. He uses the term beloved. 
in uh, verse 15 of chapter 4, where it says brothers, most, a lot of manuscripts say brothers and sisters, okay? Brothers in a, gen a general term would still refer to the same type of thing. It's, it's, it's a term of intimacy. It's a sense of belonging. We belong to God. We belong to Jesus as, as, as he has saved us. And the church, really, early church, and this church, I would say, really understood that term because in their varied uh, political environments that would have been a part of their culture, the church met in homes. And churches met in homes until about 350 A.D. and N.T. Wright offers for this church at Colossae. It probably had uh, two or three homes that it met in. And obviously... Those were people who were a little bit more well-to-do. They had room, um, and they would house the people. And he notes that here about Nympha. It's a, a woman who has the church in her house. And let me just say this as we begin to look at this text. Christianity, the church, falls apart without accountability. We need accountability. You may find yourself in, in certain positions in life where you're trying to resist that accountability. God, in part, developed smaller societies known as local churches for the sake of accountability as much as many other wonderful things that we get the benefit of. As we mentioned last week and as we've mentioned throughout the series, our church and how we see Christianity, Christians should live out their lives centered upon the local church. And in failing to do that, you're failing to follow God's plan. That's God's plan. It's how God prescribes. And yes, I know people love to say this. Knowing Jesus is a relationship, not a religion, is a lie. You are in a relationship with Jesus that is needful, but it is a relationship that is prescribed. And that prescription is religion. Okay? So that we would come under the structure of what God says. So it sounds real cute. It sounds, but I really think people use that as I don't have to be connected to the body. I'm in a relationship with God. And there's some sort of vague existence that people can have that are separate from one another. Man, I'm going to tell you, Paul didn't think that. The Bible doesn't describe that. And so we're going to move through this real quickly. I'm going to go as fast as I can. And we're going to look at it in two ways. First of all, who were the people? Who were the people? Can't know the players unless you get a program. Who were the people? We're going to try to quickly go through that. Not exhaustively, but quickly. I think it pulls us to them. And then what was the purpose? What was the purpose of this letter? We'll sum that up in three different ways, and then we'll, and then we'll get lunch. <laughs> All right, who were the people? Tychicus is the first one that is mentioned here in verse 7. He's called a beloved brother, a faithful minister, Minister there is not referring to that he's a pastor. It's, he's talking about service. All Christians are ministers. Here he enlists him as a fellow servant. The name Tychicus means fortunate. And what 
Tychicus was, was he was a letter carrier. He would take the letters that Paul typically dictated to a, a writer. Um, Luke is an example, was sometimes his writer. It would be different in different places. And he would take letters, in this case such to Ephesus, Colossae, and even Crete. Tychicus is known in the New Testament to take those. And as a letter carrier, here's what he would also do to those churches. He wouldn't talk about the text because that was being given under the, the authority of God by the Apostle Paul. But he would let the, the church know the personal affairs that was going on with Paul in that missionary team. He was the one who would communicate to the churches. Obviously very, very, very important. Things weren't going on through, you know, the internet. Tychicus was important. And Paul uses for us clearly terms that, that identify to us he was important to him. Secondly, in verse 9, Onesimus. Onesimus is called a faithful brother a beloved brother. His name means profitable. Quickly though, to help us understand, you know there is a book, Philemon, that is a personal letter from Paul to Philemon. And, and, and Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And he ran away from Philemon, having stolen from him, and in the process of running away, he bumps into Paul in Rome. He's converted to Christ. And so when you're, when you're in the book of Philemon, this little brief one chapter epistle, um, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon because he's been converted. And, and there's wonderful redemptive themes that are given there. Onesimus by his namesake, literally moves from being unprofitable, which he is called in Philemon, to profitable. We learn the doctrine of forgiveness because Paul is calling upon Philemon to forgive Onesimus. And that he's much more. He is one as us as a brother in Christ. He is useful for the ministry. Paul tells Philemon to charge to his account or Onesimus' heir towards him. And we know the way the letter is set up, we can rest assured that forgiveness was granted and we get the beautiful doctrine of Christ's imputed righteousness to us because we owe a debt we can't pay back. Probably Onesimus couldn't either for whatever it is he stole and however it is he was gone. Paul says, credit it on my account. Man, Christ imputed righteousness. We aren't inherently righteous, but we do stand and sit here today in Christ imputed righteousness. The forgiveness of sin is ours and enjoyed and will be summoned up in a final way in the, in the dealing of the Eucharist. Thirdly, there is Aristarchus, Verse 10, he's called as well a fellow prisoner. Evidently, Aristarchus was in prison at one point. His name means best ruler. He was also a part of Paul's missionary team as he was used. Here's another one along with this, Mark. 
Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. His name means large hammer or polite. He's mentioned in verse 10. You know who this is. Mark is actually John Mark. He is the one who will write the Gospel of Mark. And yet he was a point of of great contention. Paul had three missionary journeys. On his first missionary journey, um, it's Mark who quits on him. They get in a difficult spot. Um, They're about to enter some some mountains that are not only difficult to travel through, but there's, you know, there's some, let's just say, I'm bad guys there. And, it's, and death is a possibility. And Mark checks out as a young man. And in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter, in chapter 15 toward the end, it talks about Paul and uh, Barnabas having this sharp disagreement. I mean, I, I've heard it even preached that they were almost at blows. Over, over Mark. And so the church commends Paul into his second missionary journey as, as, as that's what they were going over. Do we take John Mark with us or Mark with us? And uh, Barnabas, though, goes with him. And obviously the will of God ultimately is worked out because we get here and uh, he is greeted. And he's greeted well. And he's mentioned in other of Paul's epistle as a brother and a fellow worker. Isn't that beautiful? Because of Christ and because of the gospel, you and I, you know, we can reestablish relationships. Paul is, is courteous here to him. He says, if he comes to you, verse 10, to welcome him and to receive the instruction. And again, Mark goes on, he's tied to Peter. I think he ministers with Peter between 12 and 15 years, and um, he. Uh, Pens, obviously, the gospel of, of Mark under uh, Peter dictating to him. And um, what's beautiful about it to me is, is because of the gospel, you can begin again and I can begin again. And we need do-overs from time to time. And because we sin, we stumble along and some of us fall into egregious sin. And, and, and we need forgiven. And the church in that regard should be a place where it's grace-filled and we want peop- people to be restored and forgiven and, and picked up again. And, and instead of ca- him being cast off, man, he, he carries a prominent... I mean, God gives him a gospel. <laughs> He's given him with proper commendation. And Paul certainly appreciates him. The, the last of this little trilogy is Justice who was Jesus, known as Justice. His name means just or righteous. It's the only time he's mentioned in the whole Bible. And yet Scripture tells us there that he's a comfort. That tells me that nothing's insignificant to God. You might be laboring in your own home. You may be laboring where you think people aren't even identifying you and and. You kind of feel obscure. Man, you're never outside of the sight of the king. And he will richly reward all those things that are done in his name. And, and, and so even your vocation, your work, whatever you're doing, I don't have any doubt that justice did. I mean, God was so pleased to leave his name in there. The eternal writ. So Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, I want you to think about this. 
They're the only Jews that were converted out of Judaism. He calls them men of the circumcision. And Paul had a ton of relationships and as, as a, a, a Judaizer as he was before when he was converted. He had doctorates upon doctorates. There's no doubt in my mind he was probably uh, one of the five smartest men in the world as it was known. And as a, a, a leader, in the, as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he had a wealth of relationships. Don't you think it hurt him that probably he only had three converts in, in this way who were committed to the cause of Christ? People who he dearly loved. Paul in one spot says, I suffered the loss of all things. Some people offer, I have any clue what that is, that he lost his wife and his children to the conversion in Christ. They rejected him. I don't know if that's true, but it doesn't have to be true to tell us that this man, the Apostle Paul, dove into people's lives. And this, he, he was a human being. He dealt with the pain of life as well. And they're noted here. They're noted as three of those that were converted out of Judaism. He moves forward in verse 12 to tell us about Epaphras. He calls him the servant of Christ Jesus. His name means charming. I think he was probably the overseer or pastor of Colossae, one of them, along with Archippus that we'll get into in a moment. He probably helped to pastor at Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea, according to verse 13. For I bear uh, witness, him witness, that he has worked hard for those there. He is one who has labored in prayer. He was concerned that they would, in their struggling, that they would come to maturity. He was a frontline defender, Epaphras was. Now picture this. This church wasn't founded by Paul. Epaphras goes probably to Ephesus where, where Paul was imprisoned. He brings him the concern, right? So it's a church that's made up mostly of Gentiles. It's young in Christianity. And here comes this very small group of very arrogant individuals that that try to teach this church that Jesus isn't really the creator. He's really not come in flesh. And you needed something more than just Jesus. Yeah, well, you can even maybe have Jesus, but you need more. You need a secret revelation. You need to give yourself to some strong, self-inflicted discipline to observe certain days or certain types of dietary descriptions. And it was very subtle because it sounded spiritual. And yet Satan was using it to harm the body. Epaphras prayed and then he, he goes for help. He's a frontline defender. Verse 14 is Luke, the beloved physician. This is where we come to find out that Luke is a physician. He was a, he was a, a, a medical doctor. He was certainly a, a historian. Uh, he writes, he pens actually the words of, of Luke and Acts, again, that are dictated by Paul. He's a part of his missionary team. He's known his name as light giver. He starts well and he's, he ends well. I love Luke. 
All right. That's, that was the pause for the commercial break. <laughs> he was faithful from beginning to end. He's Paul's personal doctor. And Paul struggled, didn't he? He writes at the end, you see how large... I mean, guys, think about the benefits that the gospel has brought with eyeglasses. He had bad vision. When it says you see... He says in one, you see how I write my greeting with my hand. It's because he had bad eyesight. He had bad eyesight. He would... Paul, Paul would give a signature for the sake of identifying that it was a true apostolic letter he had, which obviously become known to the churches, and because there was a multiplicity of false religious literature, um, you know, dudes for profit, trying to manipulate, as Satan would, the church, people for benefit, these things were important letters that were given. The next one that's mentioned there in verse 14 is Demas. What a heartbreak. Demas' name means popular. In Philemon, he's known as a fellow worker. That was written before Colossi. Colossians. He's just Paul just lists him here as Demas. I don't know if he suspected something or what, but when we get to 2 Timothy, which is the last one that he writes, he says, demons forsaken us. He's loved the present world. With all likelihood, he was an apostate. He was one who maybe saw the benefits of Christianity as it was in the known world, but he ultimately walks away. And if he followed his namesake, it might have been because of popularity. I don't know. But he loved the world. And John tells us, if any man loves the world... The love of the Father is not in them. Now, church, we know that that doesn't mean we don't struggle with our flesh in the world. But the world identifies with they love the things of the world. They love its sin. And it certainly looks that's what Demas was. Again, another sorrow for the Apostle Paul. Nympha is mentioned in verse 15, as I've already talked about her. Nympha and the church in her house. I know in some of your translation you might see Nymphus um, offering it was a man. Um, I don't know either way. Nymphus would refer to a man, Nympha, a, a woman. And some of the, the later manuscripts says that as they came forward with an older, close to the writing of the time of obviously we don't have the originals anymore use the term nympha that she was a woman and certainly wouldn't have been out of the ordinary john mark's mom housed the church at jerusalem acts chapter 12 i think verse 12 um, uh, um, i think it's lydia the seller of purple in acts chapter 16 houses the meeting place for the church for a season. There were certainly many well-to-do women that the Bible refers to that would house the people of God. They used their place. They used their hospitality for the cause of Christ and the, the benefit of God's people and for the sake of the gospel. Then we get to this last guy, Archippus, whose name means master 
of the horse. Some offered he was friends with Philemon. Some think he may have been Philemon's son. He was a fellow soldier. I believe he worked as an elder along with Epaphras or Epaphras. But this is very interesting here. It says he was exhorted by Paul. Paul tells him to fulfill his ministry. It is to the Lord. Did, did Archippus lack zeal? Was he suffering perhaps with a little fidelity towards Jesus? We don't know for sure. But there's challenges in all of this. And, and, and what this really like, points out to me is that Paul is giving appreciation. He's giving uh, uh, and duly noting those who are, who are tied into the ministry. Those are in the war. Those who are engaged in this gospel war that we have defined that has been going on since the garden. I want to give you three things very quickly for the purpose of this letter. It's gospel, Christ, and grace. Gospel, Christ, and grace. Let's begin with the gospel. The gospel is not an abstract idea. It's real life. It's real people. Lives are at stake. <laughs> we want you on that wall. We need you on that wall. It's real. You all have people under the sake of the gospel, who have brought you unreal joy. It gives you a high that's, that's probably unrealistic in your own mind to the devastation of things that, that people walk away like Demas or perhaps other relationships that Paul had that he dearly loved that weren't converted to Christ. The gospel's real. It was real to him in Mark, in Demas, in Archippus. He had, he had drawn back to Mark. The, their relationship was restored. He was heartbroken over Demas. He challenges Archippus. And he never withdraws love. What an example he is in that way. Aren't we glad that Christ first loves us? He first loves us. What do we get out of this as you're looking at Well, we get encouragement. We get support. We certainly get accountability. As Paul is nurturing this to these people, look at verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, Above all these put on love. So all of these rich terms that make up the new man that we're to embrace, that we want to look like, it is love that brings this, this unifying harmony with, it, with each other. Do not let pride getting in the way for you to do things that you know you need to do that's right. Suffer the loss. Do it for Christ's sake. 
The gospel's real, man. It's real. Secondly, Christ. Now think about the epistle real quick. In Jesus, we find salvation, we find freedom, we find growth, and all of it is centered on Jesus. God accepts us on the basis of Christ alone. Turn back to chapter 2. I'm going to read real quickly two verses in verse 6 and 7 that Pastor Alex preached. He says, therefore, in this transition, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, you are alive having demonstrated faith in Christ. So walk in Him. Live inside that. Live in that identity that you belong to Christ and that you are in Christ. And how do I live? I'm to be rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That is, as God is maturing you, as God is growing you, as you pray, as you receive all these benefits of the gospel and the benefits of Christ, receive them with thanksgiving. Because your growth is not attained by human righteousness or secret revelation or your own self-inflicted discipline. Your righteousness comes to you because it's been imputed by Christ. And so we glory in the beauty of the gospel. Lastly, grace. We're saved by grace. We grow by grace. This epistle begins with grace. It ends with grace. Thank God for grace. Without grace, we're all shot. Dead in the water. Bang. But because of grace, put on the new man, adorned in grace. Chapter 1, verse 2, he says, he says this, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. I love what Martin Luther wrote about those introductions. Grace covers the sin. Peace calms the soul that you belong to Christ. It ends with, grace be with you. Man, Paul understood, didn't he? We can't do this apart from grace. Grace is God's free act upon people who don't deserve it and don't earn it. There are not the haves and the have-nots. We're all connected to God by the grace of Christ in saving us, growing in the same thing. Now God help us to enjoy this table of grace, known as the Eucharist. Let's pray. Father, now as we, we come to this, the end of another service, we thank you for the book of Colossians. We thank You, Lord, that You gave us this promise that You would sanctify us through the truth. 
Your word is truth. You call upon us to give ourselves to your word because it's only by the gospel. It's only by Christ himself. It's only by your word. It's only by grace will we actually mature and grow. Help us, teach us, God, to be rooted in him. Understanding our identity of belonging to Jesus and help us to live those things to be received, your truth with thanksgiving, to be rooted and built in the faith. God, help us to look like Luke, who receives the truth and lives it lifelong. That's his testimony in Scripture. Lord, help us not to pull back from one another. Help us to take risks for the sake of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to not protect our own feelings and to protect our own emotions. Help us to mature, to grow up, to be strong, to be used for your honor and glory. We ask for these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.